0: I've been listening to Golden Hour by Casey Musgraves for years. And I listened to it once yesterday. Welcome to Spin It. Hello and welcome to Spin It, where the podcast for people who would rather be listening to music. I'm your host, James, and with me, as you know by now, is Connor. Say hello to the people. I have a question. You have a question already? What's your question?
1: Well, this is the third actual recording, if you count the test episode. Yeah. And in both the previous ones, you always say I'm with you. Oh, what's my actual title here? Am I co-host? Am I just with you? Am I being blessed with the ability to be here? Like what's going on?
0: Oh, okay. I see what you mean. Yeah. I think your official status is co-host. No, you're right. It's ironic that I say with me because you're not even physically with me. No, I'm not. We're like pretty far apart. Correct. Okay. Well, from now on, I guess I could say co-host. If you are going to be picky about semantics.
1: Well, the co-host is with you. So saying with you is fine. I just wanted to clarify my role.
0: For the listeners? Okay. Yeah. Listeners, let it be said. Let it be known right now. Connor is officially hereby and forthwith my co-host. Wait, 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 wait,
1: wait, wait, wait. This isn't like a Spider-Man thing, right? Where great power comes with great responsibility or whatever. I don't want to sign up for all that.
0: That's right. I just Uncle Ben you. (laughs) Welcome to the show. I've been Uncle (laughs) Ben. Anyway, I'm here with my co-host, Connor, and this week we're going to talk to you about the album Golden Hour by Casey Musgraves. We're going a little country this week. Only
1: a little? I think she's pretty country, at least pretty modern day country.
0: She is. There's a lot of stylistic nuances in this album that we're going to dig into a little bit later. But for now, let me tell you a little bit about Spin It. This is a, a record ranking podcast, and what that means is that I listen to these records for months and months and months. I give them all kinds of playtime personally. And then... I don't. That's right, Connor does not. He gets to listen to these records one time the day before we record the podcast. And that is pretty much our shtick.
1: It's actually literally about 24 hours to the minute when I started listening last night.
0: You say that every time. I think it's just been a coincidence.
1: No, no. I don't get done with my day-to-day things till late at night. And we don't seem to record till late at night. So
0: it it works out. Because you don't get done with your day-to-day things until late at night it's a perpetuating cycle (laughs) so we're here to give our spin on the album both my spin from someone who knows it forth and back and inside and out and then connor's take on it from someone who isn't as familiar i'm a little familiar with casey musgraves
1: country music was what played in my house as a child and so you know i grew up listening to songs like follow your arrow and merry-go-round
0: okay so the older stuff yeah yeah did you know anything from this album i didn't
1: think I did, but then when um, Lonely Weekend started, it tickled a memory, but I couldn't place it.
0: Yeah, so you're a little familiar with Casey Musgrave's older stuff. I'm also familiar. I mean, my mom and my sister listen to a lot of country music, so I have heard my fair share of both older stuff and more modern. We picked this album. We kind of wanted to, in our first couple of episodes, we wanted to kind of swing wide in our scope of genre and time period and artist, just so that we can give you a sense that we're not going to try and pigeonhole ourselves into a certain genre or you know, anything like that. We really wanted to give you guys a taste of the breadth of what we're hoping to talk about.
1: In fact, we're never doing another country song again. No, wait. No, that's the opposite of what I'm saying. That's the opposite of why we're doing this. Did I not get that memo? I might have gotten those memos mixed up.
0: I'll have to have the memo department send them out.
1: Yeah, the the memo department? (laughs) Is it the memo department or mail department? I think we need both. I think the mail department gives the memos that come in the mail to the memo department, and then the memo department distributes the memos from there.
0: All right, listen, Mr. Co-host, that's your first job. You set up the mail department and the memo (laughs) department.
1: Consider it done.
0: Great, thanks we're a well-oiled machine around here. <laughs> tell me uh, about the artist. Right, so I'll tell you about Casey Musgraves. She technically started her music career way back at the turn of the millennium in the year 2000, but she didn't really have her big country music break until 2007. That's the year when she was on a show called Nashville Star. If you could think like American Idol for country music, that's what that is. And she actually didn't even win. Do you, do you know how high she placed?
1: I do. You do. I think I do. I might be wrong. Okay. I thought it was seventh.
0: It is seventh.
1: I thought that's what I read.
0: Yeah. Yep. She placed seventh. Imagine being one of those people that was one of the six above her in 2007, and then to not be Casey Musgraves right now.
1: I mean, who were the other six? Maybe they're more famous than her, and we just don't realize that they were on that show.
0: I think we'd know.
1: Maybe like, I'm trying to think. Dang it! I'm trying to think of a popular.
0: <laughs> I'm just trying to think
1: of one famous country star. <laughs> <laughs> I listened to country my
0: whole childhood, he says. My whole life I grew up listening to country music. Unbelievable.
1: Listen, I haven't listened to country music since high school, probably. At least actively. I mean, the occasional song or like old country. I do listen to old country. but
0: mm-hmm. So yeah, in 2007, she gets her break in Nashville Star. And then in 2013, she released her first album, her debut album. And she's still active all the way up until today in 2021. Casey Musgraves has had a whirlwind of a time in country music, okay? She's won six Grammy Awards out of eight nominations, and that includes all four Grammys that she was nominated for in 2019. Impressive. I know, that's quite a resume. In 2014, she won the Best Country Song and the Best Country Album for the one that you mentioned earlier, Merry Go Round, from the album Same Trailer, Different Park.
1: Yeah. And
0: by the way, just a little a little addendum. Same trailer, different park. Maybe the best country album name I've ever heard in my life. It's pretty great. It's hard to beat. And then, like I said, in 2019, she had four Grammys, all for Golden Hour here, which include Best Country Album, the Album of the Year for any genre, the Best Country Song, which was Space Cowboy, and the Best Country Solo Performance with Butterflies. And in addition to all of those Grammys, she's also got seven Country Music Association Awards and three Academy of Country Music Awards.
1: Yeah, I guess I didn't realize how famous she became because when Merry Go Round and stuff came out, that was kind of like her first big ones that put her on the map, at least for me. And so now to see her winning like best album of the year, that's that's crazy.
0: Yes, it's true. She has had a lot of success more than I even realized and I knew about this record. Another fun tidbit about her is that she was married to Rustin Kelly, who's another high-profile singer-songwriter from 2017 to 2020, and he actually was the inspiration for a lot of the songs on this album. Love songs aren't usually Casey Musgraves' typical style. It's not her usual thing, but that relationship was really such a focal point in her life as she was writing songs for this record that that's kind of the shape that it took as she was going, and I think that was a change for the better
1: yeah two things uh i definitely did not go into this album expecting a ton of ballads and love songs because that's just not what i remembered casey musgrave kind of doing with her music so that was kind of a shock i love ballads as i've said i think on every episode so far so it was a good shock but one i didn't expect and two could you stop giving me artists who have gone through a divorce because it really limits my factor fiction stuff like i feel bad using any stories about their ex
0: yeah that's
1: a good point i was like can we just get someone who's been single or happily married like, i'll take either at this point
0: kings of leon were pretty happily married right, that was the
1: test one doesn't count doesn't count it was the test episode
0: all right i'll do my best we'll find some happier uh, fairy tale marriages to talk about in our music podcast yeah p- please pick
1: the music you want to judge based off of the relationship status of the artist
0: yeah i'll do my best So, like we've mentioned a couple times, this week we're talking about Golden Hour, her 2018 album. And I want to take a moment and say, if you haven't listened to the album already, this is your chance. This is the point where we will give you an opportunity to flutter away like a little butterfly and and listen to the album on your own. Do it! And then come back and and rejoin us for some good chit-chat. Welcome back. That's right. Welcome back, (laughs) as always. So some facts about the album. This was Casey Musgraves' fourth album, and the most recent at the time we're recording, with the exception of a 2019 Christmas special. So I'm excited for her to put out more music sometime in the hopefully near future. It's technically country in genre, but this is a record that also lends itself towards a lot of other genre classifications as well. It kind of ventures into the worlds of pop and electronic music, and I've heard people say it's got yacht rock vibes.
1: What is yacht rock?
0: Yacht rock its the kind of rock you listen to on your yacht.
1: Is it really that simple? Because I saw that turn too, and I was very confused. I was like, I'll just save that and ask James about it.
0: I think yacht rock is kind of that easy listening type soft rock. Interesting. Yeah, so this album borrows some influences from that, and from, I mean, many other things. It's pretty genre fluid as an album, which I kind of like. Yeah. Casey co-wrote every single song on the album, which is kind of rare in contemporary country music. A lot of artists will get their songs from songwriters who have them kind of curated for them. So it's really cool that she had a hand in everything here. This is really her passion project.
1: Yeah, I like it when artists write their own music.
0: Her two main co-writers on this album and the producers for the album, which, I mean, I think we should give them a big shout out because they've done a heck of a job with this record. It's Ian Fitchuk and Daniel Tashian.
1: I have no idea who those are.
0: Yeah, they're pretty big names in the country music producer world, not least of all for their work on this record. Oh, okay. And just like The Stranger last week, Golden Hour ranked number 270 on the Rolling Stones updated version of the 500 Greatest Albums of All Time. And here's a fact that might be interesting to you. I know you mentioned in the test episode that you like the Red Hot Chili Peppers and all around the world. Mm -hmm. This album actually ranks several slots higher than Californication, which is at 286.
1: Ooh. Ooh. I might have to tank my score in order to account for that.
0: Take that, Rolling Stone.
1: (laughs) You know, my score is worth at least, like, equal weighting as Rolling Stones, so...
0: Well, with that out of the way, it's time for everyone's favorite game show, Fact or Spin. Woo! And the crowd goes wild! Ah! Man. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we have a
1: live studio audience, and by live studio audience, I mean my special sound effects.
0: So, Fact or Spin, everybody's favorite game show. Uh, Mr. Mixtaper, if you're still running with that bit. Oh, oh, uh,
1: yeah, he, yeah. no, uh, the mixtaper, he's in the back. Let me just uh, go get it. Hey, uh, Mr. Mixtaper, you're on.
0: Oh, my gosh. It's me, the
1: mixtaper. That's not the voice I'm going to do the whole
0: time. Oh, wow, <laughs> wow, he sounds just like you doing a funny voice.
1: What are you talking about? No, this is... I'm the mixtaper. I'm imitating Connor. I do killer impressions. I do killer impressions.
0: Have we taken this too far? You
1: no, know, I can I can mix my voice to sound like anyone. That's part of why I'm called the mixtaper. Oh. That's the canon I'm going with. All right, well, if this is your first time and you've not played Factor Spin yet, Factor Spin is where I have gone and done a ton of research into the artist and the album to find a bunch of interesting or unique facts and I'm going to present them to James and he's going to have to tell me if it's a true fact or one I've made up because I've also made up a couple facts about the artist and album
0: yeah and sometimes they're pretty easy to tell what's real and what's fake and some of them so far have been pretty difficult
1: that's my goal I want to keep you on your toes I don't want to make them all super complicated you know because then that's hard on me that's a lot of work on me you know uh, but it also it keeps things interesting if I mix up the level of complexity of the facts
0: right yes well I'm excited to give it another go. Last week, I think I went three for four. So we're going to have to see how this week goes, if I can do any better, or probably I'll do worse. But let's get into it.
1: All right. Well, my first fact today is that she performed at the Olympics.
0: Did she perform at the Olympics as a singer, or did she perform at the Olympics like doing the long jump or something? <laughs> I didn't think about that.
1: Uh, no, it's as a singer, and it was specifically at the 2002 Winter Olympics held in Salt Lake City.
0: Oh, that's hard. I was about to ask what. Olympics so we talked about how she got <laughs> her start in 2000 and uh uh-huh She was 14 at the time. 14. Wow. So if her music career started in 2000, she was only 12. I don't know what counts as the start of her music career. Maybe it's when she started to learn to play guitar or wrote her first song.
1: It was probably when she joined a group called the Texas Two Bits, which is who she performed
0: with. Oh, she performed with the group. Uh Uh-huh. How many people were in this group? How many members?
1: Uh, I don't know. I am gonna guess at least two of them are called the Texas Two Bits.
0: Okay, so my next question is what were the Texas Two Bits at the Olympics to sing?
1: It was It's actually part of a news interview during the Olympics. They came on, I think it was Good Morning America.
0: Okay, so they didn't perform at the Olympics proper. They were at the Olympics and they did a performance for another thing. Sure.
1: As part of the Olympics coverage, yeah.
0: Did she play an instrument or she like just sang?
1: Oh, she, she definitely sang. W- why did you say it like that? She yodeled.
0: She yodeled?
1: She was there to show off her yodeling skills.
0: Whoa, wait a minute. <laughs> Casey Musgraves <laughs> yodeled at the 2002 Olympics? <laughs> That's what I'm telling you. She's like the original Mason Ramsey, right? The kid that yodeled Hank Williams <laughs> in Walmart? Yep. She did that before. It was cool. Yeah. If this is real, did you happen to see footage of it and can't... she actually yodel is she good at it she's quite
1: good at yodeling and in fact some of her songs have a bit of a yodel twang on them because she likes to yodel
0: i think this fact was deceptive because you said she sang at the olympics and i started asking questions and you rolled it all the way back to when she sang on tv at the olympics she was at the olympics you're right i don't mean to like diminish the accomplishment of singing at the olympics because i'm sure it was awesome
1: yeah Have you yodeled at the Olympics? I don't think so. Not yet, but I have at least
0: four years to learn
1: to yodel. I would pay money to see that. I would pay money to see you yodel just anywhere. Is this a true fact or not?
0: I think I'm going to lock in that this is true.
1: You think this is true?
0: I do, and when this is done... If you indeed confirm it's true, I'm going to Google videos of Casey Musgraves yodeling at the Olympics.
1: Well, unfortunately, this fact is true. You got it right. You got it right. It's true.
0: Thank goodness. That was one another fact that had a lot of details, and I'm never sure whether a lot of details means that you've made up a lot to try and convince me or you found a lot of true details. I like to mix it up. I'm going to look it up right now. I need to see Casey Musgraves yodeling at the Olympics. Oh, she's not a bad yodeler, I gotta be honest. I told you, she was good. I know, wow, that's pretty impressive. Okay, well, I give her a gold medal for her performance at the Olympics that year. Are we ready to roll into fact number two?
1: I think so. Fact number two is that she believes in extraterrestrial life and has had two UFO sightings.
0: Oh, this is hard. <laughs> How old was she when she saw her UFOs? I'm guessing two separate times. She was an adult. Sure. Were the sightings close together or far apart? Like, were they in any way related?
1: Define what you mean by close together. Like, are you talking time or location?
0: Well, I was talking time, but I think location's important, too.
1: Well, in terms of time, they're within four days of one another. And in terms of location, they're not close
0: Four days?
1: Yeah, one was in Mexico, one was in Nashville.
0: Oh, cool. That makes me feel safe. (laughs) So she believes in extraterrestrial life. Has she talked about this? Does she Mm -hmm. believe in, like, little green men with antennas? Or does she kind of just more believe in, like, Martian bacteria, you know, water on another planet?
1: She believes that we are not alone in the universe.
0: Which I guess you would if you saw spaceships flying around. What did, did she describe the UFO encounters that she had at all? Like what they looked like? She did indeed. Give me some of that.
1: So let's start with Mexico because that one happened first. She was on a beach in Mexico after a friend's wedding and saw it flying through the sky
0: changing shapes as it flew. Okay, changing shapes. Now, what year was that?
1: I don't know what year. All I know is that she was at least 21 because she said that uh, she hadn't even been drinking that night.
0: Okay, and what did the Nashville UFO look like? Was it similar?
1: Four days later, while on her porch in her Nashville home, she saw two giant balls of fire flying over the nearby neighborhood. Mm. But they weren't just, like, flying in a straight line like a missile or something. They were, like, navigating, like they were being controlled.
0: She's talked about these publicly, like, right after they happened? Or did she wait to come out with the information? Like, what was she hesitant?
1: She's talked about them in tons of interviews. I found tons of interviews about it. Or did
0: I? Oh, this is hard because she talks so much on this album about, like, nature and the natural world and it's pretty clear that she sees the world through a different lens than most. But did she see aliens? Did she see aliens? That's a lot of... I don't know. I don't know. This is hard. I think I'm just going to have to pull the trigger and say that this one's false
1: false you're going with false on this one
0: yeah my rationale behind this is that i know that the government just like declassified a bunch of junk about ufos and whatever but as like someone who's a famous country musician i feel like that's kind of a thing that's hard to come out and talk about publicly i just something about this feels off so i'm gonna say false
1: all right you're locking in false then
0: yeah i'm gonna go ahead and do it i'm Not feeling great about it, but I'm going to do it.
1: You shouldn't because this fact is true. Uh, I don't know if she actually saw aliens, but she thinks she did. This
0: is a true fact. I mean... I'm taken aback by that one a little bit. I could have seen that one going either way. I was on the teeter totter and I had to go one way or the other. You got that one wrong. Yeah, I did. I'm not happy about it.
1: Yeah. Up next, we have that she set off the sprinkler system when in high
0: school. Set off the sprinkler system. I assume you're talking about inside, like a fire suppression system and not like lawn sprinklers.
1: <laughs> Correct.
0: This just in Casey Musgrave's Watered the Yard in high school. <laughs> Okay, did she do it by lighting a fire, like the traditional way? No. Uh, Did she do it by hitting the sprinkler with something and maybe breaking it? Yes! Okay, what did she hit it with?
1: Would you like to take a guess? I like it when you guess.
0: I know you do, because my guesses are never super close or good. (laughs) Uh, I think she hit it with her foot while she was doing a backflip.
1: That would be impressive. That would be a great fact. No, this was in gym class while playing volleyball.
0: I don't know if you know, she was an Olympic performer, so... (laughs) So this was in gym class while playing volleyball.
1: When they were kind of just bumping the ball around. She thought it'd be really funny to hit the ball really high up.
0: Yeah, as one does. I've done that myself a couple times. And in fact, I got a basketball stuck in the rafters of our gym that was there from my junior year up until I walked across the stage at graduation. (laughs) It's gone now. Oh, but I've done that.
1: Yeah, she hit it a little too high and a little too hard, causing the ball to hit one of the fire sprinklers, breaking it, which caused all the ones in the gym to go off.
0: Did she get in trouble? Did she have to go talk to the principal or, like, get suspended? She did. She got in-school suspension. Okay, okay. This fact could be true about anybody. Could be. What is it? Yes, no. Yes, no? No, I'm rolling back on that right (laughs) away. Yeah, I know, I know. I'm flip-flopping. I'm gonna say no, because if she was, like, 12 and singing in a musical group at the Olympics, she probably didn't have much time for extracurriculars like volleyball and other sports.
1: I mean, it was just during gym class.
0: Just during gym class. Darn you. You're right, I know. (laughs) What the heck, you know, uh, I guessed wrong on the last one and it screwed me. I think I'll say true on this one. I have no real reason to disbelieve it.
1: Well, with true, so you're
0: flipping again. I don't want to be the guy that gets an obviously true fact wrong because I said false.
1: All right. Well, instead, you're the guy who got the obviously false fact wrong because you said true. This is a false fact. I spun this one.
0: Yeah. Is there any truth to it whatsoever? Nope. (laughs) okay well i got burned on that
1: one Uh, because the sprinkler didn't go off the
0: sprinklers didn't go off on that one i got burned a slow burn
1: My last fact for you is that during the two-day photo shoot for the golden hour album art
0: she got lost two days Where did they shoot the album art? In Golden, Texas, where she grew up, her hometown. Golden, Texas. That only makes too much sense, doesn't it? Mm Mm-hmm. Her hometown, you say. That makes getting lost even harder to do. Yep. How would she get lost? Where did she start and where did she end up?
1: Well, I feel like I first need to preface with a couple other pieces of information for this whole series of events to make sense.
0: Sure, tell me what you need to tell me.
1: So her sister works on all the album art for all of her records.
0: Okay, that's kind of cool.
1: Yeah, they were already past the deadline for the photos being needed to be given to whoever the photos go to. But they. Uh, she said in an interview that they, and I quote, Work best under pressure. And so they decided to go back to their hometown to do a photo shoot. Because I guess when they do an album art, they don't just do the cover art. They do like other art that would be
0: like associated with the album. Sure. All kinds of promotional pictures and other things.
1: So yeah, they did a whole two-day shoot throughout her hometown. They went to old roads, big trees, old buildings. So on day two, they were finally ready to do the cover art. And they wanted to go out to a giant open field where there'd be no trees blocking anything or whatnot. So they could have a nice clear Guy. Mm-hmm.
0: they sure got it on the album cover yeah
1: they found this big giant like hill field area and they went out into the middle of it and took a bunch of photos they had a little impromptu picnic and kind of celebrated the end of the photo shoot and then they forgot which direction the car was in that is plausible yeah she said it in the in the interview that and i quote neither me or my sister are known for our great navigation skills so i wasn't surprised when it happened
0: I like the backstory. I like the effort you've put into this one if it's fake, because you've given this one a whole universe to live in (laughs) with the sister helping with the album art and stuff. You've really outdone yourself. I totally can see getting lost in Texas. You know, the wide open skies and and whatnot. I think this one's true. I think this is a true fact. Going true. Yep.
1: This fact is... Bon again, another fake fact. <laughs> oh, gosh.
0: For as good as I did last week, I'm doing everything wrong this week. Yeah. There's a lot of uh, nuggets
1: of truth buried in it. Her sister working on the album art, the album art being shot in Golden, Texas. All that's true.
0: Yeah, see, I figured that's, that's really what got me is because it was so heavily based in reality, and you just did a little bit of modification.
1: The part I made up was just the getting
0: lost part. Well... Dang it.
1: It was a tricky one. I hadn't really done one that was grounded in a bunch of truth yet, so I wanted to throw one of those at you Yeah, see how you did. That's
0: true. All of yours so far have either been all true or all false. So this was a nice blend. And actually, I kind of liked getting to hear the backstory. That was a fun way to learn about how they shot the cover. That's what I thought. So that's going to wrap up Fact or Spin.
1: Uh, I'm going to give the mic back to Connor now. I'm going to go back to doing my mixtaping. Uh, it was
0: great being here. Okay, great. Thanks, <laughs> mixtaper. Get out of here. Till next time. do ba do doop ba uh-huh.
1: Anyway, I'm back now.
0: Okay, audience, I'm going to ask you again. Please tweet us <laughs> if that bit has gone too far already. It definitely has, but it ain't stopping. <laughs> oh, jeez. Yeah, so that was Factor Spin. I'm sure you, as. Connor, not the mixtaper. You, you can't have been too happy with that. Yeah, I wish you'd done
1: better. I'm always rooting for you. You really disappointed me this week.
0: Thanks, buddy. I know. So with all that talk about the album cover, now it's time to tell the people more about what it is. Indeed. To look at this album cover, I think it's the simplest one we've seen yet. It is. You talked about her going out into a field and standing in front of a wide open sky, and that's just it. It's Casey with a folding fan in front of her face, a nice pink fan, standing out in the wind on a blue background. And her image is kind of distorted in the background. Background a little bit almost like it blends into the background yeah but that's really all there is to it it says golden hour casey musgraves it's a pretty simple album cover
1: fun fact about the fan casey that was casey's idea her sister was against it she didn't quite get the image she said that usually they're always on the same page but this really took some convincing and it wasn't until her sister saw the photo that she finally understood what casey was going for and they said they knew instantly that was the one
0: Yeah, I do like the fan. What do you think it is that Casey was going for with this look? I don't
1: know. I don't know. I have in my notes that it doesn't really seem to have much to do with the album itself.
0: Yeah, I don't know. I think this one kind of feels more like an an overall metaphor for the album and kind of its themes of being happy and finding contentment in just the slower parts of life. It doesn't feel like there's too much symbolism like Billy Joel or too much weird shock factor stuff like on Kings of Leon.
1: So yeah, cover art, it's nice, but nothing crazy.
0: It is nice. It's nice to look at, and I think, although it doesn't specifically pertain to anything on the album, I still think it's very fitting. It's colorful, it's bright, it makes you want to pick this up and dig into it. I agree. Which we will do right now.
1: Is it time? Shall we begin?
0: It is time, and we shall begin. (laughs) So this part of the show is where we're going to take the album and break it down, track by track, kind of talk about our highlights and give our commentary on things. So this album starts out with track number one, Slow Burn. I thought this track was really nice. It's a good intro to the album. There's this soothing guitar, and it really does feel like a slow burn that warms us into things for this musical journey that's about to follow.
1: Yeah, I think it was the best song to start with. Out of all the songs, this was the correct one to put first. Easily. It has that classic sarcastic tone that I remember Casey Musgraves having with her older songs. Yeah. That kind of doesn't exist in some of the happier ballad or love song themes going on later. Oh, absolutely. So this was like classic Musgraves is what I wrote in my
0: notes. Yes, classic Casey. Well, she does talk about grandma cried when I pierced my nose and Texas is hot, I'm cold, like I do my own thing my own way and I'm just living life.
1: That's based on a true story.
0: Is it? Her grandma really cried when she pierced her nose.
1: That's what she said in an interview.
0: Yeah, I can see that. You know, if you grow up in a traditional family and stuff like that is uncommon or new.
1: And you're not traditional. (laughs) I love that opening verse riddle that they do in the lyrics. The one where they said, good in a glass, good on green, good when you're putting your hands all over me. The answer is a slow burn, right? Good in a glass refers to alcohol, right? slow
0: burn of a strong drink, yeah.
1: Good on green is referring to smoking. Yeah. And then good when you're putting your hands all over me. The other vice uh you know
0: right Right. yeah no it's really clever to take all three of those applications of a slow burn and kind of weave them seamlessly and really effectively into the first verse like that yeah i think it was really smart of them to hold off on the drums till the second verse you go through the whole first chorus saying i'm all right with the slow burn i like it and then the drums come in and it just feels like a way bigger moment the
1: drums were a slow burn
0: the bridge here does some really cool chord changes the song is mostly built around a and e minor and d which is a one and a five minor and a four but the bridge starts on a c major interesting it's a major chord that happens at the minor third interval on the scale which sounds ridiculously complicated (laughs)
1: yeah yeah what's that mean in layman's terms
0: i don't know how to give it to you in layman's terms except for that's a chord you just don't normally hear it's unfamiliar to your ear that's accustomed to more traditional chord changes and more more normal chord patterns And it sticks out. I don't want to say it sticks out like a sore thumb because it's very pleasant and like good.
1: It made my ears smile.
0: Right. (laughs) It does just kind of stand alone, though, for the rest of this record as a really unique musical moment. It does. She kind of does this airy section of ah, and it kind of abandons lyrics and changes that chord. And it just feels really nice.
1: Yeah, I mean, I didn't really pick up on any of that when I listened to it on my one time through, but you saying it, I'm thinking back to it, and I'm like, yeah, you're right, that did stick
0: out. (laughs) I know, I hope you give all these albums, or at least most of them, a second time through.
1: I have, I've gone back and listened to both The Stranger and Walls after the recording.
0: Yeah, armed with new knowledge to tackle them differently. This song, I think, more than almost any other on the album, really has its own ebb and flow. You know, we talked about it in the whole album sense, but this song kind of encapsulates a lot of movement just into its little three minutes, you know?
1: Yeah, it, does, it goes all over the place slowly. It burns. That's right. It is a, <laughs> it is a slow burn itself. <laughs> What do you think of Lonely Weekend?
0: I like this one for a lot of reasons. I think the play on low and lonely is really clever. Very catchy. It's a low, it's a low, it's a lonely weekend. Like, you can't really tell if she intends to be saying, oh, I'm at a low point or it's a lonely weekend. Mm -hmm. And that kind of encapsulates the whole duality of this song where the verses take such a pessimistic view. And then the chorus is like, you know what? This is okay. I like it. It's really interesting.
1: Uh, My first note was that this was me every weekend. You're not special, Casey (laughs) Musgraves.
0: Man, wow. (laughs) Self-deprecating humor.
1: (laughs) Yeah. My second note was that this song starts off talking about a lonely week, not a weekend. So interesting choice.
0: Well, it talks about a busy week and then needing the lonely weekend to recuperate.
1: It's a busy week where like she and the other person, she says he, keep passing one another basically. She's like, I worked and then you left and then it's just like they're always alone throughout the week and then she's also alone on the weekend you're right yeah it was Monday I was gone and Tuesday you were working late both of them were alone the entire time but I guess on the weekend is when you notice it because you're not working also a big note I feel like I need to bring up is that I was surprisingly not annoyed by the repetitive nature of the song which is something I complained about on both the previous albums really yeah this one the it's a low it's a low it's a lonely weekend that happened several times a lot yeah I enjoyed it I don't know if it was the way she was singing it or like you said the play on the It's a Low versus It's a Lonely Weekend I don't know what it was I just enjoyed
0: it this time I think you're right I think it has to do with the way that she sings it because one of my notes is that she just has such an ear for melody you know on this song and all the others that come after it she is so good at taking the chords that she's put together and picking out the perfect melody to string them all together Yeah, everything feels like it's clicking on this album everything's hooky and catchy it's pretty good and I think the way that she kind of descends on It's a Low It's a Low It's a Low I think that makes it really easy to listen to because your ear expects that melody and it's really satisfying when it comes up and plays out the way that you think it should.
1: She's just a great songwriter. I have that just in my notes on several of the songs, so I'll just say it once and probably reiterate myself multiple times.
0: Yeah, I love the major seventh chords that she uses at the end of phrases here. It gives it a a real hanging feel, like you're kind of left suspended.
1: Major seventh. Yeah. She came in 7th in 2007, and she likes Major
0: 7th. I'm noticing a seven theme. It's a conspiracy. <laughs> Who do we call about this? Should we call James Bond? No. No, 007. Oh. How deep does this go? Oh, all the way to the British <laughs> government. We can't implicate Britain in Casey Musgraves conspiracies. What kind of a podcast are we?
1: We're finding out the truth. We're digging deep. It's a true crime podcast now. <laughs> We're a true crime. I love it.
0: No, I think it's really cool how she turns the lonely weekend into a positive. She talks about it kind of as the only time that she can get back and recharge on her own, which is pretty relatable to me, I think. I do that a lot.
1: Yeah, I feel like that's a very introverted thing. Friends of mine who are introverted talk about how they like social, being social, being out doing things right, but then they need alone time to recharge, and that's kind of the vibe I got here. Yeah,
0: like the rest of the week is still lonely, but it's lonely being busy, like you mentioned, and this is the recharge the battery moment. Speaking of introverts, that's a cool way to transition into butterflies. (laughs) What a segue. I don't know. This whole song is about coming out of your cocoon and becoming a butterfly. So I think there's a kind of a metaphorical way where that makes sense if you don't think about it too much.
1: My first note before I even listened to the song was that I expected this to be the cheesy song of the album.
0: Yeah? So after you listened to the song, did that hold up? Is this still the cheesy song?
1: Yeah, not as cheesy as I thought it was going to be going into it, but still kind of cheesy.
0: It does. It is a little heavy on the love songs and the cliches. I
1: mean, yeah, she does the whole you give me butterflies cliche. And now, though,
0: the- to that end, I think the butterfly is a really cool vessel for the metaphor that she's using here because she talks about herself as the caterpillar in a cocooned kind of way. And then she breaks out of that into the butterfly. So it kind of describes her transformation as well as the stomach butterflies that everyone kind of talks about being in love yeah so it is a little cheesy but i think it does a lot of cool work
1: it's country music you should expect a little cheesy you're right (laughs) she's also just such a good singer I know I said she's a great songwriter, but she's a good singer, too. She really sings this one well. She
0: always sings everything exactly where she wants to sing it, and that brings a lot more emotion to it and a lot more feeling behind the lyrics. I do think, to talk about cheesiness and love songs, this song's kind of a mixed bag of different metaphors, right? She talks about the butterfly thing, she talks about being on cloud nine, stealing crowns and untangling strings and being caught in a web. Like, there's kind of a lot of different idioms and figures of speech at play, and I think it kind of of works, but it also just kind of feels like a lot coming at you all at once.
1: Yeah, the whole lifting me up instead of holding me down, stealing my heart instead of stealing my crown is a great bit of
0: lyrics. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's definitely very nice.
1: I got a lot of Billy Joel vibes listening to these lyrics. She also has that ability to kind of craft complex lyrics that are straight to the point and dive you deep into the world she's creating in her song, much like he does. But yeah, they're a completely different style.
0: Yeah. I noticed that this one uses a lot of short words, like we talked about on some things like moving out. A lot of really quick images Mm -hmm. that kind of make everything feel I, I don't know feels like it cuts to the core everything is really simple and deep I guess in a universal way it's presented in a way that's very vulnerable and accessible yeah And this is another song that uses back-to-back minor chords that really makes the verse feel emotional, and then it lifts things up during the chorus. Ironically, right at the part where she says, now you're lifting me up, is when the chords change. So that little musical parallel is really cool.
1: Sure. Yes. I I understood all of that.
0: (laughs) Every time I say something like that, you have such an interesting reaction, and I love keeping those in. I want to see how many you can come up with for the run of this podcast.
1: (laughs) I hope I eventually start to understand them more.
0: He's going to take some musical legwork. Butterflies is the first song on the album that really gives us a look into Casey Musgrave's view of nature. You know, so much of this album is based around, like, natural imagery, and Butterflies is the first time we get a taste of that. And then she gives us way more of a taste of that on the next song, Oh What a World.
1: Boy, what a wild start. I thought somehow my playlist got switched over to Daft Punk or something. It is.
0: It is very Daft Punk. I said I could do kind of without that intro. Yeah. It pulls me right out of the last song.
1: I agree. It was the harshest transition, I think, on the album. Yeah. And not in a good way like muchacho back on walls this was like why there was no need for that
0: i do like it when it comes back in at the end i think it's just a bit too much to jump into right at the beginning yes yes So it starts with that Daft Punk-type electronic intro, and then she gets into the first verse of her song. What an interesting selection of things to be amazed by in the natural world. I don't know if you caught it, but I want to outline it for you. She talks about remarkable things. Northern lights in our skies, plants that grow and open your mind, things that swim with a neon glow. I mean, she's pretty much saying there's a world full of wonder out there, and it includes things like the northern lights, fish, and drugs. I don't know how she narrowed it down to those three things.
1: (laughs) I mean, I don't know how much you know about Casey. Musgrave's personal life, but she's pretty fast and loose with recreational drugs. So I can see how she narrowed it down to those things pretty easily.
0: I did learn some things about it while researching for this album, but it's just an interesting start of the song to me. Like she's just so bewildered and amazed by these natural things that actually exist. I don't know. It just feels like you're looking at the world through innocent eyes almost Mm -hmm. that everything that you see is super cool and new. I really like that. Then, after the first chorus, there's a very tasteful banjo that I just love. Yeah, there is. And it's crazy to hear that in a song that started with the Daft Punk thing. (laughs) It's awesome to think that those two can kind of coexist in the same sonic space.
1: I think the banjo is why I like the song so much, because, again, the banjo is such a classical country instrument. Mm -hmm. So I was like,
0: yeah, get it, banjo. (laughs) Get it, banjo. All right. (laughs) All right. You go, you go, Banjo. <laughs> you go, Banjo. Sounds like the name of a, of a Nintendo Switch game. Like Guitar Hero, but for the Banjo. And then we hit the second verse, and she starts to get really existential with this, did I know you in another life? Are we here just once or a billion times? And then she ends that verse with the pair of lines, it doesn't matter. You're here right now, and I know what I feel. I think that's the most disappointing payoff on the record. The lack of a rhyme right there really caught me off guard, and it still does, every time I pay attention to it. I
1: don't think it stood out to me at all. A lot of this song musically stood out to me, but lyrically I kind of just was going with the flow.
0: That's fair. It's understandable that you'd be way more on the music side of this one, where the music is so unexpected. Yeah. She does that existential bit in the second verse, and it ends with, I know what I feel, and then she says, these are real things, in the pre-chorus. And it's so cool, because the first time she says, these are real things, she talking about physical, tangible, natural wonders. The second time, I kind of get the sense that she's talking about her own feelings. Oh. Like these feelings that I feel are are real things that I experience. And it's just a neat shift to something so abstract and introspective there. And I really like it. So this next song is the interlude almost of the record. It's a short little minute and change piano track. It's called Mother.
1: I really wanted this next song to be from the perspective of Norman Bates.
0: Very Norman Batesy, I guess. <laughs>
1: interesting thing to put on the album not really a full song just more of a musical what you call it, interlude a musical interlude
0: yeah I think interlude is a good term for it
1: something that she I think probably was really identifying with and so didn't want to cut but wasn't something she was going to turn into a full song
0: one of the interesting facts I came across about this song is that this was one of the ones that she wrote while she was under the influence of LSD and some you know other substances yeah she was which is kind of surprising to me if I had to guess if you You said Casey Musgraves wrote one of these songs on LSD. Can you guess which one it is? I don't know if I'd even give this one a second glance.
1: (laughs) I enjoyed the song. But again, it's a lot of sappy ballads, which is man, like the marriage must have really put her in an interesting place for the, the majority of this album to be the way it is.
0: Yeah, it has abandoned a lot of that, like you talked about, the sarcastic tone that she's taken on older records. It's virtually absent almost all the way through this one. This
1: one's just raw emotion almost. Mm -hmm.
0: Like we talked about earlier with her penchant for melody, I love that repeated vocal run on when she goes, Wish We Didn't Live, like she just repeats that a couple times. And it's really the building block of this whole song. It's so catchy and efficient. Mm -hmm. It's such a good melody.
1: I love the melody on Love is a Wild Thing. I think that was one of my favorite songs. It's up there, at least.
0: Love is a Wild Thing. Yeah, I know Space Cowboy was like the Grammy-winning country song of the year and all that, but to me, I think Love is a Wild Thing really feels like the country music core of this album. It's so good. It's really good.
1: <laughs> of course, I went into the song with Where the Wild Things Are in my mind, and so then I was just imagining them, like, dancing around. Maybe that was just me. I don't know. Audience, if you also thought of Where the Wild Things Are while listening to the song, leave a comment
0: they probably didn't they probably didn't i think you're (laughs) unique in that way
1: it was just such a good song, though. Like, I I don't want to call it now that it was my favorite because I'm really still working that over, but it was really good.
0: It's certainly on the short list of favorite tracks. It's got to be in the running. Yeah. I love some of the imagery that she uses. You know, to talk about love as this wild, untamed thing, and then to bring in, again, more of the nature imagery, like the flowers in the concrete and blooming in the shadows, the places you can't see with the birds and the, the nighttime. and It's just a very pleasant series of images. She
1: ties all these images that are very distinct things that you can picture in your mind very easily. But she ties them together in a way that Tells the story almost itself. She also, I don't know if you noticed, she likes to talk about magic on this album a lot. The last song, magic was a big word used a lot. And she does it in this one too in verse two with magic in your fingertips.
0: I know, I should have known she believed in aliens. (laughs) Yeah, she does talk a lot about magic. I just love the way that she presents all these things and says like, flowers in the concrete, you know, you can pave over this, but the flowers, they're wild. They're going to do what they do regardless. Like that's such a cool way to describe her emotions.
1: Channeling her inner gold bloom. Life finds a way. Everybody has an inner gold bloom.
0: I guess. <laughs> Whatever.
1: Are you tired of my crap yet? Am I about to lose my co-host spot? <laughs> I don't
0: know about that, but sometimes you say some things that just really, like, throw me off. I don't know what to say <laughs> to that. I think one of the reasons this song feels more like the country core for the album instead of something like Space Cowboy is at the end, there's like a steel guitar that comes in. There's nothing more country music than a good steel guitar. She uses it really well here.
1: Would you like to take a guess as to what the next song made me think of when I first saw the title?
0: Oh, boy. So the title of the next song is probably the best-known song from the album. It's Space Cowboy. So I think you looked at the title Space Cowboy Did you think of like Sandy Cheeks from SpongeBob flying her rocket to the moon?
1: That was scarily close. (laughs) really? It, it was Spongebob, but it was the football playing king in space with a mustache.
0: The football playing king <laughs> in space with a mustache. thats I almost said that too.
1: Yeah, that's what it was. But the fact that you went Spongebob was crazy. That's awesome. Yeah.
0: No, I told you before you listened to this album that I wanted you to look at some of these titles and think about them beforehand so that I could get thoughts like that from you.
1: I, I don't think I brought that up yet, but she has such a good way of taking the title of the song and tricking you into expecting what the song is going to be and then completely like pulling the rug out from under
0: you. Oh, yeah. She does that on Space Cowboy. She does it on Wonder Woman. It comes up a lot.
1: It got me every time. I'm sure it did. Give you some space, cowboy. Oh, it's very clever. It's very clever.
0: Now, I think the first verse of this song is absolutely incredible. Maybe the best piece of lyrics that she does on the entire record. You look out the window while I look at you. Saying I don't know would be like saying that the sky ain't blue and boots weren't made for sitting by the door. Since you don't want to stay anymore, you can have your space. She gives us just enough information about the situation, but also leaves us just enough blanks to fill in. Yeah. So it helps keep us interested, and it also makes the song super relatable by not pigeonholing it into some kind of situation that's way too specific
1: lyrically i can see how this was a standout song lyrically it's great but musically it just it was probably my least favorite ballad
0: yeah there's not as much movement in the melody it's still plenty catchy but it doesn't go as many places as some of these crazy vocal runs that she puts on some of the other songs
1: when you're listening to the whole album at once it's definitely not catchy enough to overpower some of the other songs.
0: Yeah, I agree. It is definitely a single. You know, it's a song that you can release as a single and clearly that was a a good strategy. But yeah, it does kind of musically get overshadowed. Mm -hmm. I like how the chorus incorporates all of this cowboy and country music imagery with the cowboy and the corrals. You know, the Silverado trucks. One of my favorite lines in the song is sunsets fade and love does too. We had our day in the sun. That contrast between we had our day in the sun, it's setting the sun's fading this relationship is coming to okay again see another slow burn the relationship is slowly burning out like the sunset fading
1: uh another one that got me was after the gold rush there ain't no reason to stay shoulda learned from the movies that good guys don't run away
0: yeah the gold rush metaphor is really clever you know everybody went and moved out west to become a cowboy and then just left
1: and then the whole there ain't room for both of us in this town yeah
0: that's such a classic cowboy line that's such a cowboy thing yeah and she fits it in really well
1: very clever. It doesn't feel
0: forced. Roads weren't made to not go down. It's kind of a double negative. She kind of has to twist that a little bit to make it fit ain't room for both of us in this town. But it's not, again, like you said, it's not twisted in a way that feels forced.
1: Yeah, especially because she's been throwing ain'ts and like other contractions throughout the entire song. So Yeah,
0: it's consistent with her style and syntax. Yeah, yep. I just think it's a really interesting twist to take something that's so, this kind of emotional distance and then put it in a physical way. You know, it's that kind of parallel of him leaving and literally driving away after the gold rush of their relationship has run dry. But he's also been perpetuating this emotional distance the entire time. It's just kind of cool to see how those two things coincide through this cowboy metaphor.
1: And again, it got me. I was really expecting just a crazy song about a space cowboy.
0: With like a laser, a ray gun lasso. A
1: ray gun lasso, that's way better than what I was picturing. I was just imagining like an astronaut with a cowboy hat and a little like star badge.
0: (laughs) Well, let's talk a little bit about track number eight, Happy and Sad. Which one were you? I don't know, it's such a deep question. I don't know, I feel like I was happy with this song. That drum sound at the beginning is so interesting. It's almost like a, like an electronic drum sound. I don't know whether it's real drums or electronic drums, but they've produced it in such a way that it kind of brings another electronic vibe to this otherwise pop country record
1: like you said, it, it likes to mix or like at least dabble in other genres.
0: Yeah, it sure does. And in addition to those drums, I mean, they're pretty much the only thing that's happening through the first verse. The instruments are really sparse. They only hit the one chord at the beginning of the phrase and mm-hmm. then just kind of let the melody run over the rhythm for the rest of that. Yeah. Lyrically, this song describes her fears of experiencing the falling out or like the aftermath of a good thing coming to an end. And it feels really intentionally put after Space Cowboy, which is also, you know, explicitly a about the come down after being on the relationship high. And with the verse being mostly just drums and vocals, that first time the chorus hits is just enormous. It comes in full bore with all the instruments, all everything.
1: It does. It's one of the bigger hits, I think, probably on the album. You kind of mentioned the lyric, but I really like the no, I've never been this far off the ground. And they say everything that goes up must come down. That's, again, a really vivid image in your mind of like, you know, you're on cloud nine going back to some of your lyrics from earlier. And so, you know, you're up high and you're loving it, but you're also worried because you know that what goes up must come down.
0: I think it's super smart to hone in on the phrase everything that comes up must come down because that is the figure of speech for this song. It encapsulates every single emotion that she expresses here.
1: Just call me smart. For honing in on something.
0: I mean, I intended to call Casey Musgrave smart for picking that expression. Ah, uh,
1: but she she didn't hone in on it. I honed no, in. No, she honed
0: on in on the idiom and put it in the song. She put it in there. Hey, this isn't about who honed. This isn't about who honed what. <laughs> it's not This is about Casey, and that was brilliant. It was. No, it was really good. I like how this song is kind of an opposite from the direction we take on Rainbow, which we'll talk about at the end, but Rainbow's a song where hard things are assured to get better in time, and this is a song where things are going great, and she's kind of convinced herself that they can't be this good forever. It's a nice contrast.
1: Yeah, it's a good contrast to draw on.
0: I didn't think about that.
1: So for the next song, I had to look up what Velvet Elvis was. Did you have to look it up?
0: I didn't have to look it up. I've heard about the Velvet Elvis before, but I don't know where or why, and I don't know much about it.
1: I started the song. and I was like, all right,
0: let's stop and look up what Velvet Elvis is. A Google will be necessary. Can we also talk about how fun it is to say Velvet Elvis? It absolutely is. It's the internal rhyme. It, it bounces. Velvet Elvis, Velvet Elvis. <laughs> so what did you come across in your research? You'll probably teach me something.
1: Interesting choice of painting i didn't look too deep into the painting just i typed in velvet elvis into google and a whole bunch of different images came up of velvety
0: elvises sure it is an interesting choice but you know all she's ever wanted is something classic
1: i mean even in the song i don't really care about the mona lisa i need a graceland kind of man who's always on my mind you know it's like you're saying the velvet elvis is cooler than the mona lisa I might agree with you. The Mona Lisa is kind of meh, but in terms of like renowned, I definitely think the Mona Lisa is more popular.
0: Yeah, the Mona Lisa is obviously more popular, but I don't think... I
1: mean, is Velvet
0: Elvis in the loo? I don't think so. Well, I mean, you got a point. But I think that's kind of the point of the song, isn't it? That you don't want the love that everybody else wants. You want the Velvet Elvis.
1: Yeah, I guess. She played me like a fiddle.
0: Yeah, she gotcha. This song has so much more of that pluckiness that's really cool. And her voice sounds great on this. The reverb and the delay on it is just perfect. I think it's as good as she sings anywhere on the record, just in terms of how her voice is produced. Really? Yeah.
1: I'm going to challenge that in a couple of songs.
0: It's very open to challenge, and I'll probably recant that statement when we get there. However, right now, it just sounds great.
1: I don't have a lot to say about this song. It was a funky little tune. I learned that there's a thing called Velvet Elvis.
0: Yeah, it was educational.
1: And that's about all I got for it. It was, it was kind of a simple song, uh, at least to me, uh, my one listen-through. There were some cool Elvis- themed lyrics.
0: She decided to put in some very cool allusions to Elvis with something classic, timeless magic.
1: Go out with you in powder blue and tease my hair up high.
0: Yeah, a jet black sparkle in his eyes. Lyrically, she does it explicitly, but in the music, there's a lot of cool stuff done too. I didn't even think about that. There's a big chorus in the background that kind of does the echoes and the O's. It evokes that Elvis gospel style music. Not not like that noise that you're making. Stop that right away. (laughs) I can't do it. I'm no Elvis. I'm no Velvet Elvis. You're the most Velvet Elvis of them all. (laughs) And don't you forget it. She talks about how she wants this velvet Elvis to make everybody jealous. Would you be jealous if you walked into someone's house and they had one of those bad boys? A little. A little?
1: Having seen it, I think I'd be like, why don't I have something like this?
0: I know what I'm getting you for Christmas.
1: If you got me a velvet Elvis painting, it might be the greatest gift I've received in my life.
0: You need to find people to get you better gifts.
1: I I really want one of the full body ones where he's got the blue suit singing into the microphone. I don't want just a headshot.
0: Just a headshot is like, that's the mom friendly version of elvis we need the version with the hips that's what people went crazy about right yeah, those hips don't lie no that was someone else <laughs> that was someone not Elvis. shakira shakira wait that's we can't go all over the place here <laughs> and then the other thing i liked is the chorus that was really scaled back at the end almost sounded like an old radio on the am frequencies okay okay yeah. I just really like the way that they produced that. This song felt to me like a showcase of their production abilities. In addition to all that it does for Casey's songwriting, it just felt like a really fun song to produce. Yeah. I
1: think you're behind that logic.
0: Do you like superheroes?
1: Yeah, yeah. This song got me again. I know where
0: you're going, but it got me. Well, so yeah, I'm going to track number 10, Wonder Woman. What did you think Wonder Woman would be about?
1: Again, I thought it was going to be a song about her being Wonder Woman, how she's a strong woman or whatever, but Mm -hmm. uh, literally the opposite. She's not Wonder Woman. Yep. So she don't need no Superman. Same kind of message, but reversed in a way where it's like she's not Wonder Woman.
0: Right. Yeah, it is an interesting twist on the traditional Wonder Woman story. Could we
1: talk about the lyric, we rarely, never, ever don't see eye to eye? What do you think about that?
0: Oh my gosh, that was exactly the next thing I was going to talk about. I don't know what I think about that. I've thought about what I think about that all day, and I just don't know. (laughs) I mean, I wrote it in my notes and literally put hmm next to it because it's kind of that double negative. Yeah that makes sense when I don't think about it but when I start to unpack it I have to like draw a flow chart and figure out like rarely I hardly ever don't not see eye to eye which means <laughs> I do see eye to eye sometimes but <laughs> I just
1: of all the double double negatives this one felt the
0: most forced yeah
1: like she was like oh I'm two syllables short what can I throw in here we
0: could throw rarely right in there <laughs> yeah I have to agree with you on that it kind of was a lyrical low point for me maybe for the whole album just because it's so unnecessarily complicated i do like her attitude in the verse where it says i can try to do all this but then the chorus is always temporary expectations i'm gonna do my best but i'm only human i'm not wonder woman i agree I like all the references she put into Wonder Woman, including, you know, the lasso of truth. I think that's pretty unique. That's a pretty cool reference to hide in here for, like, the true Wonder Woman fans that understand. I don't know.
1: And and it fits the cowboy theme, right? I don't know how to lasso the love out of you. Like, it's still fitting the cowboy, like, country Absolutely. She's
0: also got going on. Absolutely. It's pretty perfect. Also, I want to talk real quick about the line, you don't know how to fly, but that's okay. Neither do I. Does Wonder Woman fly? I'm under the impression that Wonder Woman has the invisible jet, so she also does doesn't fly.
1: That's a good question. I'm not as up on DC. I think she doesn't fly, but she can jump really, really far when she needs to.
0: <laughs> I guess the lyric, you don't know how to jump really, really far when you need to, but that's okay, neither do I. It doesn't work as well, does it? <laughs> uh,
1: yeah, it'd be really funny,
0: though. And I love the instrumental in there. I think it's a, a keyboard solo of some sort.
1: Keyboard solo of some
0: sort. You don't remember it at all, do you? Nope. I didn't think so. Sometimes I can tell so we're getting down to the end of the album here we've got one more song that's not a straight up country ballad and that is track 11 high horse
1: this this is the musgrave i remember high horse right here this was a highlight for me
0: oh yeah she's just telling a guy off the entire time
1: yeah she is and it's hilarious i love it so good i mean this is basically a a oh what's it called like the youtubers
0: where they would like this one on diss track that's the word i'm looking for right this is like her diss track for someone no you're right. So she brings in this brand new this neo-disco vibe. I mean at what point is this not a country song to you? Is it in the lyrics? Is it in the music? Because the music isn't very country.
1: Yeah, I mean it's still as country as a lot of other popular countries nowadays. Yeah, you're right. I think it would still fall under that wheelhouse even if it's not
0: as country as the rest of the album. She does make a lot of country references throughout though including one to John Wayne, the quintessential TV cowboy. Yeah and she immediately turns
1: it around with show up and shooting down everybody like turns it around into a negative thing
0: telling someone they're classic in the wrong way I mean that's got to be it that's an 11 out of 10 burn that's not a slow burn (laughs) that's a really quick burn and she builds into a really catchy chorus with some really tight vocal harmony you and your high horse Mm mm The other thing I wanted to say is I really do not want Giddy Up to work as well as it does in this song. Dang it. So why don't you giddy up, giddy up, and ride straight out of town? Yeah, she goes giddy up, giddy up, and ride straight out of town. And I don't want it. My brain doesn't want that to work. You know, I keep telling myself, like, that shouldn't fit. But it does. It's the perfect thing to fit right there, yes.
1: It's just really good. It's a fun song. Yeah, it is. But next is the titular track.
0: Yeah, next we get into Golden Hour, which is such a good next-to-last track. The Golden Hour is the sunset. It's before the nighttime, but the day is winding down. Everything is slowed down. and Just like the album. is, It is just like the album. It's a parallel. All
1: right, yeah, I can get behind that. I like the placing spot on, but I wasn't too impressed with the song. I don't know if I used to always have too high of hopes for the song that the album's named after. I had this problem with Walls, too. It was not super impressed. It's fine, but it's definitely my bottom half. Like, if I had to rank all these songs, it'd be in my bottom half.
0: Yeah, no, I think it would be in my bottom half as well. Other
1: than the title being awesome, it's a run-of-the-mill song for me.
0: Well, now, it does do some other interesting things. This is another song that feels like it's very much about nature, but Golden Hour itself is a person. You know, she sings, You're my Golden Hour, The Color of My Sky. It's not about nature anymore. This whole album, we've kind of seen her obsess about nature and love people, and this is the spot where they call wide for me.
1: Maybe it was just because I only got one listen.
0: Yeah. The only other thing I really wanted to say about this one is once again the bridge. If Casey Musgraves can do anything well it's write a bridge. The music is descending constantly in the bridge which is totally the opposite of what we've heard everywhere else. Remember in Mother and Love is a Wild Thing where she just does the rising motif all the time? Da 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 da. This is the total opposite of that and it's a thing that doesn't happen anywhere else on the album and I think that makes the bridge of this really stand out. Interesting. Interesting. This song ends on an unresolved major 7th chord. It leaves you suspended, waiting for the song to resolve, and it doesn't. And she goes straight into Rainbow, the final track. It's another piano song, but this is, I think, the only one that's a proper piano ballad. It is.
1: I mean, it's just her and the piano. There's nothing else crazy going on musically.
0: Yeah, it really draws the focus straight to the lyrics. And I think the lyrics on this song are the ones that are the most meant to speak directly to the audience. Mm -hmm. This is kind of her fourth wall break for for this album where she says things might be rough but they're gonna get better you might just not see the silver lining right now
1: Uh, i mean the way the song starts when it rains it pours but you didn't even notice that it ain't raining anymore it's like the whole ideology right that like don't let one small moment ruin an entire day because you're fixated on it yeah
0: you're too caught up in your trouble to look around and notice that the rain has stopped Oh, I just, it's hard to breathe when all you know is the struggle of staying above the rising water line. Like, when the only experience you have is struggling to stay afloat, when you don't have to stay afloat anymore, even though you're safe, it's still an unfamiliar experience.
1: And musically, I just really enjoyed the piano in this song. It really highlights her singing
0: ability, too. Yeah, this is the other one that I would say would be in contention for her best vocal performance. Yeah,
1: yeah, this is the one I was going to challenge you on, so... Be challenged.
0: I think this is such a satisfying wind down. Slow burn kind of brings us into everything. And this is kind of the end of that where everything is reflective and we've listened to all these songs, we've heard all this, and it kind of just slows us down. It's kind of a cool moment to digest the rest of the album. I think that's a great way to wrap up the album. I think we've pretty much touched on every track here. You said you've got three songs in contention for your favorite song. Would you like to make your final selection?
1: No, you go first. I
0: need another moment. I'll go first. Okay. I think I'm going to have to give my favorite song. Drumroll, please. (laughs)
1: Okay.
0: My favorite song was Love is a Wild Thing. I think it's the perfect blend of the natural imagery with a catchy melody and the kind of love song vibes that she brings throughout the rest of the record. I think it's the perfect intersection for all that stuff. So I think it works really well.
1: I can't, I can't argue with that pick. I think I'm going to have to give honorable mention to that one. Okay,
0: that one gets your honorable mention.
1: But I still think Rainbow was my favorite.
0: Yeah, I don't think you'd be alone in saying that. Looking at the number of Spotify plays that each of these songs has, Rainbow has the most, and it's not close. Ha ha, that means I win. I don't know if you can win the favorite <laughs> song segment. Yeah, I think it's just that I'm a sucker for ballads. It's true. Yeah, you really are. You're letting your ballad sucker show <laughs> Phrase like that. That's all. Well, now it's time to break the album down and rank it. Let's talk first about music as a whole. Like I said, the whole album is so melodic. Every song is catchy. Every chorus is almost instantly memorable, and everything sounds like it should be on this record. With some of the other records we talked about, like Walls, we talked about Muchacho standing out, or Billy Joel sometimes Frankenstein's pieces together into a song. Everything here just. fits together. Splendidly. And to that end, I think this record as a whole is greater than the sum of its parts. Each of these songs is made better in the context of everything else on the record around it. And that's not to say that they're not good on their own, just that having the songs together in a collection like this really improved the experience for me.
1: I think I can agree with that, having had one listen.
0: So based on the fact that everything was so cohesive and just so well put together, I think music for me gets a 94 For lyrics, I think we're looking at a lot of really cool imagery, a lot of really clever uses of common phrases and cliches. So I think for me, lyrics gets a 90. For production, again, I mean, I can't praise the producers enough for this one. They really did a great job at combining all of these styles into a a single record. So production, I would give it an 89. Okay. Yeah, and then the overall vibe, just all of that taken collectively as a whole. And given that this album is such an award-winning album, I'm giving overall vibe a 95. I have shipped those scores off to our math department to be calculated. Yeah, the squirrels are hard at work. And uh, the math department has come back and said that my weighted score of all those individual numbers is a 93 and a half. So I'm giving this one a very solid A. Wow,
1: yeah, 93 and a half. That's gonna rank pretty high on this on the spreadsheet. Yeah,
0: it's not completely finished at the time we're recording this, and it's constantly having more stuff added to it. But it's top twenty-five right now, I think. Oh wow. Yeah, what about you? What about you, Mr. I don't calculate my scores the same way.
1: I've been mulling it over all day, and uh, I'm gonna give this album four happies and four sads at the same time for a total of eight oh. out of ten.
0: Oh, okay. Four four happies and four sads. That's the way that it's making you feel tonight. Yeah, at the same time. At the same time. Okay, that's a ranking that would have me smiling with tears in my eyes.
1: (laughs) So it's a total of 8 out of 10.
0: So we've got a 93.5 and an 8 out of 10. And again, we were closer together than I might have imagined.
1: We're going to differ on one of them, and it's going to be bloody. It's
0: going to be a stark difference, I think, coming up sometime. I'm not ready for it yet. So hey, guys, thanks for listening to the podcast. We really appreciate your support. You can check us out on Twitter, at Spin and Instagram, at Spin Official. We've got links in the description to our special album ranking spreadsheet that we talked about, where I have posted all of my scores for what's basically every album. I've ever listened to. And we've got a link to a playlist where I put my own personal records that I'm focusing on every month. You could kind of follow along and maybe discover some new music that way. you got one that's on this month that we're getting ready to record, right? I have one that was June 2021 that we're about to record, yes. I believe that's coming up next week. I know you talked about not wanting to do artists who have had a messy divorce, but next week we're going to be talking about Kanye West and my beautiful dark twisted fantasy. Oh no! Kimye is over. So I'm going to caution you ahead of time. This is content that would be better used in the next episode, so I'm going to leave it there for now. And we're going to leave you with our famous catchphrase. Has the writing department written us a catchphrase yet? Uh, Did you, You're in charge of the memo department. Did you get the memo?
1: The memo department's in shambles. Oh my right.
0: gosh. Okay, listen, Mr. <laughs> co-host. I don't need to see how the sausage is made. I just need a catchphrase. Until the writing and the memo department get their acts together, I guess we'll just close as always with uh, keep spinning, everybody. Keep spinning! Keep spinning in. in. Listening to the Golden Hour. boop doop